0: Hello and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson bringing to you this week news from Brazil, Argentina, the United States, and India. In Brazil, we just have continued evidence that Bolsonaro is really prepping the grounds for some extra-legal, extra-judicial political activity. Um, This is the chatter that you're seeing in a lot of Brazilian news sites, opinion pieces. People are getting sincerely worried about this. And if you are in or outside of Brazil, uh, this is something you should be paying very close attention to. Brazil is an incredibly massive country with millions and millions and millions of people living in it. And it's one of the most important economies in the world. And it's also a relatively new democracy. You know, democracy was only restored in Brazil in the 1980s and really only solidified in the 90s. And so the prospect of it sliding back into some form of non-democratic rule as a result of a Bolsonaro coup or even him successfully like really staging a really credible attempt at a coup uh, is incredibly alarming now this would be a you know an extra legal seizure of power in one of the most powerful countries in the world and that happening for the first time in decades uh, this is something you got to pay close attention to And in Brazil's neighbor, Argentina, uh, we have a much smaller piece of news, but something to keep your eye on. Uh, Argentina recently had a wave of legislative elections, uh, and in the capital city of Argentina, Buenos Aires, there was a prominent right-wing candidate, uh, somebody that you might describe as like a Trump wannabe, but really he's maybe more comparable to somebody like Tucker Carlson. Uh, he is a news broadcaster, a sort of shock jock type. Uh, he also presents himself as like young and up and coming. His name is Javier Millet. Uh, he is a you know, YouTuber and presents himself basically as a, as a libertarian. Uh, he entered politics as a candidate uh, for the first time in this legislative cycle, and his party shot up to receive 13% of the votes in the city of Buenos Aires. That's completely crazy. Um, he appeared from out of nowhere and won a massive chunk of the vote. Um, he's incredibly popular among the youth, um, especially among the extremely online of the youth. Uh, and the memes that they're sharing about this guy very closely resemble the kind of memes that you saw uh, around the Trump candidacy back in 2015 and 2016 before Trump became the president, you know, like presenting him as a sort of like god emperor type figure wearing, you know, Roman imperial regalia or with eye beams that destroy his enemies with like piercing blades of fire, like, like crazy stuff like that. Uh, he is usually presented, as I said, as a sort of libertarian. That's how he wants him himself to be thought of. Um, but he's also extremely anti-feminist. Um, he doesn't believe in gender equality. He's critical of homosexual marriage, things like that. Um, So he is really a product or rather also a producer of uh, this like extremely online manosphere type politics. So somebody to maybe keep an eye on. In the United States and India, we have a combined story first involving an academic conference that's to be held in the United States on Hindu nationalism. This reporting is coming from The Guardian. Um, there's going to be an academic conference uh, studying Hindutva, uh, which is a name for a political movement surrounding Hindu nationalism in India uh, under British occupation and after Indian independence from the United Kingdom. Uh, this academic conference has received a lot of death threats and threats of violence in general from India. Hindu nationalists. Um, now, for those of you who weren't aware or have forgotten, the current government of India is run by a party known as the BJP. The BJP is a far-right Hindu nationalist party. Um, it is actually under an umbrella organization uh, that is called the RSS, a an extremely right-wing, potentially quasi-fascist organization uh, that, again, originated under British occupation, But has since become a just long standing political force in India. It is an extremely right wing political group. It has paramilitary sections uh, and other paramilitary connections. It has many different branches, but they're all centered on Hindu nationalism, uh, on the idea that India needs to be a homeland for people of Hindu descent and people who practice Hinduism as a religious and cultural practice. This is particularly problematic in India, an extremely diverse, pluralistic country uh, that is also officially a secular state. So uh, there's this conference in the United States, and Hindu nationalists have been giving death threats uh, against the participants and organizers of the conference. And unfortunately, these death threats have been fairly successful. Uh, They have caused a lot of people to withdraw from the conference. Uh, These threats have also been levied against the specific institutions um, that have been supporting this conference which include the likes of Harvard and Princeton uh, these are big major educational institutions in the United States being targeted by this kind of activity and for those of you who aren't aware this is extremely normal in the right-wing playbook uh, using the you know university system and academia as the site of you know a, a good place to pick a fight uh, this is something that's pretty common. Uh, among right-wing entities. Uh, And so seeing them operate in this way internationally is interesting, um, but it's not particularly surprising in general. On the other hand, uh, the United States envoy in the uh, United States embassy in India has been meeting uh, with the leader of the RSS, that organization I was just talking about, reminding you that, like, While there are forces within the United States and in India and throughout the world that recognize that it's extremely troublesome that the RSS is so close to power in, you know, the largest democracy on earth, uh, that the United States continues to work with directly with this organization Uh, This is something to keep in mind when, you know, when we think about how the United States is framing uh, its relationship with India, uh, especially vis-a-vis the United States' relationship with China, uh, which is part of the final piece of news that I want to bring to you this week. That news comes from the New York Times uh, and also from, well, the New York Times' excerpting and reading of an upcoming book called Peril, uh, which has been produced by a team of journalists. Uh, this book evidences how the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, uh, Mark Milley, uh, General Mark Milley, uh, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, for those of you who are unaware, is uh, an extremely important and powerful person in the United States military chain of command. He's the, the main military advisor to the president. He sits on the cabinet. You know, He has a lot of extremely important functions, both within the military and in the civilian apparatus that regulates the military. Um, so uh, General Milley, in the wake of of the January 6th coup uh, by Donald Trump and his supporters uh, apparently called his counterparts in China, uh, A, to assure them that the United States was not going to fall, you know, that, that, that democracy wasn't going to end in the United States, and also to assure them that the United States wasn't going to pull anything stupid, uh, like trying to start a fight with China. That's extremely alarming in and of itself. Um, another thing that's getting a little bit less press, although it is also receiving some, is that this book also uh, also indicates that um, General Milley also called in his top aides uh, to remind them about how the chain of command works uh, as regards uh, nuclear armaments. Just to like remind them, like, hey, uh, I'm part of the chain of command for launching nuclear missiles, um, so you can't do that without me. Uh, And, you know, don't listen to somebody like, say, Jared Kushner or whatever, if they give you an order about, you know, what the president is saying. Uh, So this is evidence that, like, things were getting really shaky up there in the presidency uh, in the wake of the events of January 6th. Now, for those of you who've been listening to the podcast, for those of you who've been paying attention to United States politics, the general gist of this isn't particularly surprising, right? We knew that that was how... United States was working in the wake of January 6th. But the fact that he like, he called in his advisors to have secret meetings about how to handle the president, about how to handle the presidential administration, that he had secret calls with uh, his counterparts in other countries about how he was handling the president. It's just, it's more evidence of how like razor thin how so close the United States came uh, to the end of democracy on January 6th. And here, I'm not talking about like, well, what if, what if Trump's coup had succeeded? I mean, like, what if generals thought that they really needed to intervene in order to get Biden inaugurated on January 20th? That's almost as as terrifying of a prospect. That would be the first time that the military has gotten involved in United States politics on a national level Arguably, like, since, like, I don't know, like, the Whiskey Rebellion? Or the Civil War? I mean, I'm struggling to come up with comparable events here. Uh, The military getting involved in politics is always bad. Uh, As a historian, I can assure you that the military often gets involved supposedly to protect democracy, and a lot of people like it. Uh, This would be, like, loved, for example, by, you know the New York Times op-ed page, right, if they intervened in order to get Biden inaugurated. But that cat does not go back in the hat. That kind of stuff does not get reversed. Once the military starts behaving in this way, all bets are off. And finally, going to conclude this episode, as I do almost every episode, with a segment called See You in Hell, uh, celebrating the deaths of prominent right-wing figures throughout history. This week, we are going to post World War II Italy, uh, a guy named Stefano Della And again, my apologies, uh, I do not speak Italian. Uh, Della was born in Italy during the fascist period in 1936. Uh, so he lived his childhood uh, throughout the war. Uh, but immediately after the war, you know, pretty much as soon as he was reasonably capable of doing so, he joined a fascist organization. Uh, in this case, this is the Italian Social Movement. Uh, the Italian acronym is MSI, a prominent post-war fascist organization in Italy. And Della Chiae joined it at 14, uh, earning him the nickname Shorty uh, because he was, you know, an actual child when he joined this organization. Uh, MSI was a combination political organization and street thuggery group. Um, they had street fights, fought leftists, Um, for people of color, that sort of thing. Um, Something, you know, a comparable organization in the United States or a comparable entity in the United States might be like uh, what most people think of when they think of a skinhead, for example. Um, Chiaille also was, he was in and out of MSI and joined various other far-right street gangs and international groups uh, throughout the 1950s and 60s, uh, primarily beating up leftists. Uh, and this is a part of Italian history known as the Years of Lead, uh, as a period of intense political partisan violence, Uh, and he played a major role in this. Uh, But his involvement in right-wing politics didn't stop there, it didn't just stop in Italy. Uh, The thing that makes him particularly fascinating is that he's suspected of involvement in numerous right-wing bombings, uh, not just in Italy, but throughout the world, Uh, and I mean like not Europe, but the world, Um, He was extremely involved, not just in European right-wing politics, but in South American right-wing politics. Um, So not only was he involved in right-wing bombings in Italy, Austria, Spain, uh, but also Argentina, Chile, um, Bolivia. Uh, For example, there's extremely good evidence, there's very good reason to believe that this guy was involved in the Pinochet government, in the Bolivian dictatorship of Banzer, and the Argentine Anti-Communist Alliance, the AAA in Argentina, which is one of the organizations primarily responsible for the um, right-wing violence in the Argentine Dirty War. So this guy really got around, uh, reading, reading the list of things that he's responsible for uh, as a scholar of international fascist organizing and violence, it's, 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 it's like, a, like a who's who, it's crazy. Um, the thing is that none of his potential convictions ever really stuck. He was in and out of trial, mostly acquitted uh, throughout most of his late life, uh, by which time he had finally returned to Italy after long periods of, you know, self-imposed exile, trying to escape uh, potential capture and arrest, uh, or just like being a right-wing political consultant. Uh, he died in a hospital, uh, apparently of natural causes, this week in history, the 10th of September. 2019 so we will see you in hell all right that was 15 minutes of fascism a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right i'm craig johnson thanking sleepy kitty arts and sleepy kitty music for our intro outro and graphics if you enjoy the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review on whatever it is that you're listening to this on. And if you really like the podcast, check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 fascism. That's 15 minutes of fascism all one word. For those of you who join my Patreon, I have fun news. Uh, I'm going to put up my first Patreon-exclusive content later this week. Um, For political reasons, I refuse to put politically useful content behind a paywall. I will never do that. Uh, Instead, this content is going to be a personal story about me as a researcher attempting to talk my way into a fascist Argentine seminary uh, as I was doing research for my dissertation. So if you're a Patreon, uh, look forward to that. All right, I'll talk to you next week.